Um, Tracy, how are you today? I am so good, Jim, and it's always good to talk to you. Of course, it's good to talk to you too. Um, today we're going to be talking to somebody named Kevin Lichtman. Kevin Lichtman. I met him on uh, LinkedIn. If you're not on LinkedIn, not much. Dang it. I need to get. You should be. uh It's good networking. Yeah. Professional networking. Right. Anyway, um, so uh, Dr. Leichtman uh, has written a new book that's just out this month, the month of March. And he is, uh, he's called that The Perfect 10. It's profiles of students. Okay. It's about listening to students, changing our definitions of perfectionism. Nice. And so I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Leichtman today. Yeah. Me too, because, right, perfectionism can kind of slow even our biggest and brightest and best. Right. right? It gets in the way, I think. Exactly. Let's go ahead. Let's give him a call. Hello, this is Kevin. Hi, Kevin. This is James Martin. Hey, James. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. And I'm here with my colleague, Tracy Vandeventer. Hi, hey, how Tracy. are you? Nice to talk Great. to you. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us today. So we just kind of did an intro on our podcast about you and just the fact that you have a book coming out this month and mm-hmm. uh, it's called The Perfect Ten. Mm-hmm. And uh, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. Um, it co- comes out tomorrow, actually. So <gasps> I'm super excited. I've been like counting down the, the hours <laughs> and minutes. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess uh, I'll give you a little context. So uh, I've taught every grade level from 7th to 12th. Uh, I'm also a college adjunct. So um, I teach uh, college undergrad courses on, uh, you know, pre-service teachers about uh, diversity and equity in the classroom. And, you know, one big focus throughout my career has been on student voice, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't want to just have that be like a thing that I talk about, like a catchy subject or whatever. I want to actually put that into action. So I started collaborating with some of my students and saying, Hey, like, what was your school experience like? What were the, uh, the things that helped propel you? What were some of the barriers to your success? And, you know, having those conversations on a regular basis really started bringing about the, the concept of the book. And what I found as a teacher and I'm sure anybody who's been a new teacher can relate to this, is there are a lot of educators who have these, you know, preconceived notions about a student, and they'll just kind of barge into your classroom and be like, who's on your roster? Oh, I hate this kid. Can't stand this one. This one's a behavior problem, right? Yeah. And so you see, before you ever get student voice, you get, you know, teacher's perception or administrator's perspectives or uh, even security guard's perspectives on those students. So by the time you've met a student, there might already be all these ideas floating around in your head, whether true or not, that will change that dynamic and change that relationship. So I wanted to kind of flip that on its head. Like, what happens if we actually listen to the experiences and the narratives and the voices of students? And how would that change our dynamic as educators? So at that same time, I happened to be talking to Dr. Sarah Thomas of uh, EduMatch. And, you know, just fortuitous timing, I was like, hey, you know, I'd like to get my students' voices out there. How can I do that? She said, write a book. I'll publish it. Let's go. And uh, so I started talking to some of my former students. I said, hey, like, I've got this concept. 
would you like to share your experiences? And I couldn't believe I called 10 students. I got 10 yeses right away. Nice. They, yeah. And I mean, that really highlights the dilemma, right? That students really don't get that opportunity to share their experiences. Now I'll tell you some of the experiences in this book are, I, I mean, I'd say scary. Like there are some things they went through that are very difficult for me to, as an educator, even hear that they had to deal with these things just through the process of going through school. But they shared it so bravely because, you know, that, that's what they were all telling me. They're like, this is my opportunity. And other students and parents and teachers need to hear the kind of things that we went through in order to just be able to have the opportunity to graduate. Can, so, you, can you give us an example of, of something that you heard that was maybe a little bit surprising? Sure. So, uh, you know, one of my students, uh, her name is Vic, and she had been uh, kicked out of her household. And, uh, you know, her, uh, there was alcoholism in her family. There was a lot of negative things happening at home. And uh, she was a Latino woman. And she goes to school after confronting her parents and after having some of these big blowout fights at home. And uh, one of her teachers essentially said, uh, you know, you're a Latina girl here. You're probably not going to do that well. Like you probably shouldn't be in AP classes. You're not really destined for that kind of life. Wow. And before that moment, she was an all honors and AP student and she had an excellent GPA. So she had already proven to herself that she could do it. And then she hears the voice of a trusted teacher who says, no, you probably can't. And that comes right in the midst of her home life is crashing. Now her school life is crashing. And she really did fall apart for a while. And, you know, those kind of moments really take a toll, not just on a student, but on a person, just at an individual human level, right? It makes you doubt everything that you thought about yourself. I am so, um, of course, disheartened to hear the story, but mm-hmm. know that it happens. And in fact, yeah. just this last week, I've been, I was sitting in on a conversation where this group I was sitting with was trying to come up with a common definition of equity. And it was mm-hmm. very interesting to me to hear the different ways that, um, you know, people want to address trying to make school a place where kids can be successful you know basically mm-hmm. that's that was the intent and one thing that was really st- striking to me was the idea of helping students access right have access to mm-hmm. all of the coursework and all of the opportunities and in one fell swoop you know that student mm-hmm. was was kind of beat down right? A little bit Mm -hmm. that even though they they have the option to take this course, I guess, Mm -hmm. they have the option to enroll or do well in their courses, just that um, kind of slap uh, of of self-esteem that Mm -hmm. was, that, you know, caused such a hit, took such a hit. That is so hard to really pinpoint that's intangible, but such a big impact. Go ahead. And yeah, Tracy, to Uh, you know, further that point in those moments, it could be great work of eight teachers and administrators Mm -hmm. and guidance counselors interrupted by one harsh moment that might've just been thoughtless or might've, you know, not really been planned out well. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about uh, equity and inclusion in schools, that's why, you know, it's important that it's a school-wide movement, 
you know, I've had many cases where I've worked with a student and I, I see them in a very good place. And then the next day, everything has changed. And it's like, well, what changed? And it usually can track back to an adult in their life who, you know, kind of went against the, the voices that were building that person up, including their own voice, right? So, you know, when I say the student voice is important, you think about all those like equity decisions in schools. How mm -hmm. often do you think students sit on those boards? Mm -hmm. And even further, how diverse is that student group, mm -hmm. right? Because I've seen a lot of schools where, you know, there might be some student decision makers, but it's usually the football team or the cheerleading team, yeah. you know, that sit on the student government and they, they have voice. But a lot of schools don't make that concerted effort to say, okay, what are our students experiencing? Yeah. In that conversation that you're referring to, Tracy, are, you, are there any students involved? No, in the, yeah. no students were at the table. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's still, you know, important work. But what was a surprise to mm -hmm. me is how hard it was to grapple with everyone's different mindset around equity. And it kind of was, of course, you know, it swayed from not quite this, but the idea that, you know, they have to pull themselves up from the bootstraps because they all have access to the course if they would just sign up or if they just do their homework or if they would just, you know, do the work because we're, everybody can do it if they want to, right? I mean, that was like the most mm -hmm. extreme kind of sense that was coming. And then there was this other level where it was, you know, we need to really go into really deep training and professional learning. And we need to make sure that um, our courses have equitable, equitable distribution. And I'm not disagreeing with that, but that, that was a swing pretty far to the other side. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I was mostly struck by how difficult it was for these adults to come up with a term that people felt comfortable with. Yeah. And I think having students in the room would help fill that definition. Like here's what our goal is in the school students what do you see that's in the way of that could have been a much quicker and more efficient conversation than all the adults just kind of sitting around like, okay, well, how do we fix this? Yeah. And also that empowers the adults. Right. And that's where we get into the idea of I'm going to save these kids because I'm the decision maker. I'm the authority. And when you're doing that, you're not really helping the kids. You're helping your own self-esteem in that you feel like you helped kids, yeah. but when you empower students and you make them the center of the conversation, not just by talking about them, but by talking with them and giving their voices power, then you see real dynamic changes at the school uh, and at the individual level as well. Uh, a lot of students will tell you that, you know, I didn't join an AP class. I didn't join an honors class because I didn't feel empowered to do that. Mm -hmm. I might've even felt uh, capable Right. Like academically, I might have felt like yeah, I'm probably on that level, but it's become such a mystified experience for some students. And when adults are kind of frowning on it and uh, are you sure you're ready for that level? Well, then, yeah, you're going to have that self-doubt. And a lot of students will will feed off that self-doubt more than they will mm -hmm. their own confident inner voice that says, you know what, maybe I can. Yeah. And, and even going to the point where we, sometimes we have these really well-meaning adults that are like, oh, mm -hmm. but I don't want them to struggle or I don't want them to have a negative experience. And so then they sort of like try to make that decision for the kid and discourage them. And that, that also in itself is just as I think inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Kevin. Sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, 
I, I just, you see it all the time, right? And uh, the fix to that really is teachers need to start thinking about how do we play to the strengths of our students, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, they might be trying to protect the students from something that they might not be aware that the students can do because they haven't looked at, okay, what is this kid good at? Um, a lot of us play damage control. Say, what is the student struggling with? What is the issue? What's the, what's the thing that uh, they can't seem to do? Instead of asking the very simple question of what are they great at? What do they excel at? And how can we leverage that to help overcome you know, some of those weaknesses or some of the things that maybe they just haven't shown yet but might be capable of? Right. So, Kevin, where are you situated in, in the country? <laughs> we, we don't even know that. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. So uh, I'm in Ohio. Okay. Uh, currently, I'm in, I'm in Florida. I'm out here on a wedding. Uh, and, you know, a nice place to celebrate the book launch. But <laughs> Yeah. A uh, little break from the winter. But uh, I'm in uh, Cleveland area currently. Oh, very good. And are you still teaching or have you um, so on I something else? Yeah, so I took a break from the classroom. I, uh, I was teaching in South Florida. That's All of these students are from South Florida. And uh, I took a, a break uh, moving to Ohio to uh, work on education consulting with my wife. Uh, so we run a company called TLC Educate. And uh, I also direct uh, a branch of a company called Academic Mindset. So these are all like, uh, you know, education uh, companies. So... One thing I found is, you know, these ideas that are in the book and the, the philosophies I have as a teacher, I've run into so much red tape, just, you know, being a teacher, being in the school, um, maybe not always having the most supportive administration or sometimes having supportive administration that just wasn't really ready to, uh, you know, take a lot of action. So I felt like maybe if I get out of the classroom and I can start, you know, hitting it a wider scale maybe I can make more of a positive impact. And that's been my goal and my hope and my journey. So, uh, you know, and it helps. My wife is also a PhD in education. Uh, we graduated from uh, Florida Atlantic University together. So, it, you know, it really helps to have her voice next to mine and her ideas coming out as well. And, uh, you know, the two of us really play off each other well. So uh, that's like my, my current situation. That's great. So, um how did you decide on the students that you chose for your book? So, yeah, the first rule I made was I wanted students who had already graduated because I didn't want uh, any student who might feel like I'm a teacher at that school, so they owe something to me, or maybe if they do it, they, you know, I help them out in school. Like, I didn't want it to be a complicated relationship um, in, in those terms. So I was looking for students who had kept in contact with me, you know, people I could reach out to very easily. And I was looking for just a wide range of voices. I wanted diverse voices. I wanted people who were at the low end of the GPA scale. I wanted people at the high end of the GPA scale. And I just really, I wanted students who had a story to share. Yeah. And I, I was very lucky, like I said, uh, as I started thinking about names and I started just having conversations with them, every single one was like, yes, I would love to do this. The thing I hated was... I wanted like 30 students in this book <laughs> and you know, I wanted to keep reaching out to more because as I heard these stories, I was like, this is meaningful. We need more of what's going to be in this book. But you know, I had to cut down somewhere, yeah. you know, so I could, 
you know, get it out and produce it. But um, that was really the hardest part is saying, let me stop at 10 and not go to 20 and not go to 30. And, you know, I, I could have been writing forever. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. we, um, we focus on the little things, right? Little things first mm-hmm. that come into a building that can help you know, improve student success. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be big sweeping changes and really trying to tap into student voices shouldn't have to be a really big lift. I'm mm-hmm. curious when we talk about administration or leadership or even within the school setting, you've got maybe team leads, teacher leaders. What do you think sure. would be some little things that could make a big difference in helping to elevate student voice? Okay, so a little thing is anytime you're making a decision about a student, make sure a student is in the room. And that could be as simple as for even accountability, right? Because imagine being a principal at a school, uh, developing your school improvement plan, right? And now you have a student sitting in that building at the very beginning of what do we need in the school improvement plan? Even having the student in the room forces you to be thinking about the student body and not just about maybe the data or the things that the district might want to see or, you know, some of those things that we know are good, like show and tell kind of uh, figures. So having that student voice present is a small thing that you can do. It's not hard to find a student that says, Hey, do you want to have a voice in this uh, direction of the school? Yeah, of course you will find students very willing and eager to be a part of that conversation. So that's a step that you could implement today and you could implement every single time you are talking about students. Mm-hmm. And that could be any level from developing the student handbook. Okay, let's talk dress code. Let's talk some of these things that might be barriers to your success. And let's have you in the room for that discussion so we can really empower your voice and say, what do you need to succeed? Um, I don't think that takes a lot of effort. I think that just takes you know, some, some thoughtfulness and uh, a willingness to commit to equity. Yeah. Uh, along with that, uh, another small thing that can be done is anytime you have a student who is uh, being disciplined. So I'm thinking about this from a leadership position, right? If you're dealing with student behavior and school discipline, every time a student walks into your room, start asking the question, why is this a good student? And that's a really important question. Let me... Let me explain why I frame it that way. Why is this a good student? So a lot of times when you think about discipline, you're thinking, why is this student bad? What have they done that's bad? What, you know, what are the indicators? What's the things that are happening? We never take time with students who are being disciplined to say, why are they good? And that forces you to defend your answer, right? That forces you to say, okay, I'm already admitting that this student is good. Now, why? And that allows you to start digging into the strengths of the student and their passions and their goals and their hobbies and the things that make them proud and the things that make them excited. And if you can tap into that, you turn a discipline conversation into a motivation conversation and a conversation that moves forward. So uh, those are two little things that I think any kind of administrator could implement right now. Bring students into every conversation that's about them. And take your your disciplined students and start asking, why are they good? What are the strengths? What are the passions? And start building those up. And you will find behavior problems diminish and 
students become more excited to be in school because they feel like it's a place they can explore the things that they like. Yeah. Love it. And I'm thinking about another um, technique that we used at one of my schools where we had students that we maybe had concerns about, and we did what we co- what's called, I think, a two-by-ten. So for 10 days in a row, we mm-hmm. spent two minutes just talking. How are you? Love it. Do you have pets? What do you like to do? Mm-hmm. What, what, when you get home, what do you? Um, how do you spend your time? Who's your friends? Those kind of questions that are not academic-related, very open. And mm-hmm. invariably, those conversations led us to a much deeper understanding about what those challenges were that were, you know, in front of that of that student, maybe creating a, a, a you know, a challenge to learning or just even showing up at school. Um, and we were able to make some changes to support that student. And it created this bond and the student trusted, I think, the adult more than they had before. And we were thoughtful Mm -hmm. about who we had do that two by 10 too. It wasn't just anybody. It was typically somebody who had already a little bit of a connection with the kid. Um, But Mm -hmm. how, how hard is two minutes, 10 days in a row? Well, it can be a challenge, but I think it's possible for sure. And I think it's a worthy investment. When you think time investment, uh, especially for administrators and teachers, I mean, every level of education, we're busy. So you have to think about what is your time doing for you? So if I spend two minutes for 10 days and I now have a student who was disruptive, uh, doing poorly in school, bad grades, who is now helping other students. And not only are they on track, but they're a positive benefit to the entire class. I would say two minutes for 10 days is very worth that time investment because that'll pay dividends over the course of a year and maybe even their entire school career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that scheme of things, it's a very small time investment. Now I know a lot of people get stressed out like in the moment, but that's why it's important to plan these things. You know, you plan for equity, you plan for student voice. You don't just hope it happens because, you know, we know if you just kind of hope it happens, typically it doesn't. We're busy people and a lot of things come in. So um, I think that's an excellent strategy. And it did make me think about uh, another one of the students in my book. Uh, So his name was Dominic. And he uh, was a great student in middle school in terms of grades. Uh, You know, all honors, AP, excellent, excellent kid. Came to high school and really struggled. And, you know, he always proclaimed himself as like, you know, I'm a comic book nerd. So a lot of teachers just kind of assumed, oh, he's a nerd. He's getting bullied. He's getting picked on. You know, that must be it. But I spent... You know, that two minutes through 10 days, probably more than that. But, you know, I spent that time investment with him and said, okay, what's really going on? And he was saying, you know, these comic book things and the movies that I like to watch, they're what connects me to my family. My grandfather doesn't communicate a lot with anybody, but he'll talk about comic books with me. So I read that because I really want to be closer to my family and they're picking on me. And it's like they're picking on my entire family and the thing that holds our relationship and our bond together makes it stronger. Okay, that's a bigger deal than just people calling him a nerd, right? So it's really important we get to the heart of these issues to understand not everything is going to affect the student the same way, but we got to know why. And if we know that answer, we can tap into that into a positive. Like, wow, how great you're a family man. That's awesome that you have this wonderful connection built up with them. Tell me more about that. You know, and that helps students get not just back on track, if you say, but that helps them become who they want to be and be able to ignore those outside voices that say, oh, you don't want to be that. Yeah. 
Now, Kevin, you're the title of your book is The Perfect Ten. So where does that title come from? Because there's the ten, obviously, like ten students. But <laughs> right. the whole idea of perfection, you've played with that a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about that? Was that a theme that came out in your conversations? So before I wrote the book, you know, I was reflecting on my own student experience. And I was actually not a great student, uh, believe it or not, because people see doctor after my name and they think, oh, you must be really smart. <laughs> I barely graduated from high school with my 2.0. I dropped out of my first college. Uh, I was able to transfer to another one and I failed out of that college. So for a, a large portion of my life, I didn't think I was cut out for academics in any way. And, you know, I was, I had failed out of college. I was working a minimum wage job. And for a while I was shrugging my shoulders going, I guess this is life now. And I was very fortunate. I had a school accept me on academic probation, gave me one more chance. And I started really reflecting on myself. And I'm like, why have I been such a bad student? Like, what's happening in school? And I found that I was always comparing myself to what I would call the perfect student, right? And my definition of the perfect student was very traditional. Uh, you know, they take notes all day. They go home and immediately do their homework. And, you know, they never have problems, huge support system. Everything's great. And I didn't fit into the definition I made of the perfect student, right? Because there's no real definition of that. It's just the definition that I had in my head. So now when I talked to these students, I found a lot of it was the same where they were like, you know, this is how I saw good students and this is how I saw myself. And I always came up lacking of who I thought I was supposed to be in school. And the only time I found success is when I redefined perfect and I fit myself into that definition. I said, you know what? This is how I can be the perfect student. This is where my strengths are and this is what makes me perfect at what I'm trying to do. So, you know, the book title just kind of came naturally after that. Like, you know what? We need to change this definition and we need to really think about it. So my challenge to readers, and I put the challenge right in the book with space for people to write, is every chapter... I want you to reevaluate what you think a perfect student is. And you look at this student from this chapter and you say, do they fit your definition? So for administrators who read this or teachers who read this, that's going to be the, the thing that you're struggling with throughout the book is how does your definition shift or change or maybe why does it stay the same? But, you know, I want people to really be conscious of whatever we call perfect. There's also a flip side, Right. So if that's the perfect student, what's the, you know, the imperfect student? What's the bad student? And that definition, too, can change very much depending on our perspective. I, yeah. have, a, I have a question in thinking about, um, you know, you gave us experience where it wasn't very positive impact from the teacher. But did you have some students who shared with you some successes like, oh, when my, when my teacher did this, this made a big difference. So this was really something somebody did and boy, it changed how well and I was able to be more successful. Do you have examples that way? Absolutely. And I think it was important to include both of those because I wanted people to see we're talking right from the voice of students talking about the impact that adults have, right? So, uh, you know, I had uh, a student like Justin who was uh, having issues with stuttering and he was having a lot of trouble reading. And he would force himself to read out loud. He didn't care that he was getting made fun of. And thankfully, he had a lot of teachers who would be really patient with him. Like, oh, you want to try to read out loud again? Go for it. Take all the time you need. And those teachers would kind of like help uh, manage the other students. Like, hey, let's not make fun of him. This is what's going on. 
he's learning, he's doing better. And he eventually eliminated that stutter. He doesn't uh, really have trouble with reading anymore out loud. And I think a big part of that was he was given that space. He was given that opportunity. Uh, another one, Hannah, was on the verge of failing out of school. And she was in a complete downward spiral. And she had a couple of teachers who really took her under their wing and said, hey, I know you're smarter than this. And I also know that something is going on outside of school or outside of your control. Let's chat. Let's work through this. And I'll sit here and hold office hours all day, all night long. If I have to, you're going to get your work done because I believe you can do it. And that propelled her to go from I might fail out to now she's on a college scholarship for athletics. Nice. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a mixture of the positive and the negative in this book because you've really got to see there are those moments, like those like shiny moments that can stick out in a student's head and say, you know what, maybe I can be X, Y, and Z. And we have to make sure that that's the voice that's winning out and that the student's narrative is not being ignored as we come up with those voices. Yeah, absolutely. And as I was going to say before, it's really surprising to me that we still have these notions of perfection yeah. you know, in this day and age. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's we know that's counterproductive to try to be perfect. And yet, <laughs> I think we still sort of have these ideas that maybe get in the way of us being fully accepting of all students and all challenges and, you know, the, the kinds of diversity that we might see in a classroom. Well, and yes. I think our old definition of what was a perfect student no longer matches when we're looking at what society and what our businesses and our communities need. They need not necessarily someone who studies immediately after they get home, but someone who's a good problem solver, someone who's right. good with working with groups. Mm -hmm. I think that that's evolved over time as well. Right. Absolutely. That's uh, the Bill Gates quote, right? He always looks for the laziest employee because they're going to find the easiest solution, so they have to work the least amount of time. <laughs> you know, so efficiency. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but you know, you're—I mean—you hit it right on the nail. The, those definitions still exist in our head, and those are the definitions usually we were raised with by our own parents and our own teachers and our own communities. Uh, that kind of bolstered what we thought was supposed to be perfect, and we tend to then put that on our students and our children. So. You know, a big part of this, too, was thinking about parents and they compare so often. So they'll be like, oh, you know, my kid only has a 3.2 and this one has a 3.5. What are you doing wrong? Rather than saying you got a 3.2, what gave you that level of success or what allowed you to accomplish some of these classes so well? And, yeah. you know, we we kind of lose that in the idea of comparison. Like, you know, you're, you're just not quite as good as this other kid as based on this very arbitrary number. Yeah. You know? And as we look at issues of mental illness in our schools and mm -hmm. you know, social and emotional stability, um, we need to maybe move further away from those ideas <laughs> of, of perfection and the pressure that it puts on us and kids. So, um, mm -hmm. so uh, we have a last question that we usually wrap up our interviews with, and we'd appreciate it mm -hmm. if you'd reflect a little bit on it. So if you mm -hmm. could travel back in a time machine and talk to a younger version of yourself, uh, what advice would you give? Oh, man. I've got actually the perfect advice for my old self. <laughs> uh oh, perfect. 
use the term perfect. I don't know. <laughs> I, I love to play with that word now. But this one actually comes from uh, Hannah. And uh, she's one of the students in the book. And this is what I would really want to tell my old self. She said, today, when I try to understand all the bad decisions I took, I think I was always postponing the encounter with the person I really needed to be. The one I deep inside always knew I could be. And I know young me would really need to hear something like that because I made so many bad decisions because I thought that I couldn't win with the good decision, right? Um, I was somebody, I was, uh, you know, an athletic prospect in wrestling, but I never fully committed myself because I always worried, what if I do try my best and I'm not as good as these guys? Yeah. So I never ended up being as good as I could have been. Uh, I was always in trouble in school because I thought, what if I actually sat down and applied myself and I still got an F or I still got a low grade? Then what does that mean about me? Like, what does that mean about my, my talent or my ability? So a lot of times I just held back and I made these bad decisions. And back then it might not have been on purpose, right? It might have been subconscious. But I always had that thought in my mind of if I apply myself to my fullest and I don't reach the goal I want to reach, that's saying something really bad about me and I'm not prepared to hear that. And if I would have just gotten over that idea and said, let me not postpone that encounter with who I could be. Let me see who I can be. I would have been in a much different position much faster and I would have got a lot more joy out of those younger years rather than, you know, trying to explain away my bad behavior or, you know, come up with excuses or, you know, whatever the case might be. So um, that's exactly what I would tell myself. Good advice. Yeah, excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and spending some time with us sharing some of the little things, giving us lots to think about as far as how we can have student voice play a more important role in the decisions that we're making. If you could, we'd love to hear from you one more time, the name of your book and how we can get your book. Sure. And first of all, uh, Jim and Tracy, I'm so grateful for both of you. Thank you for having me on. So excellent, excellent podcast. I highly recommend it. So thank you. uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, it's a privilege to be on. So uh, the book is called The Perfect Ten. You can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, and if you want to connect with me in any way, uh, you can always find me at Kevin Lightman on your favorite social media network. Uh, and then the work that I'm doing with my wife, tlceducate.com. So oh, plenty of ways to find me and reach out to me. And uh, I'm always happy to chat. If you pick up a copy of the book and you want to give me feedback, good, bad, or perfect, (laughs) feel free. I I always love to hear feedback. So, uh, you know, I want to get better at everything I'm doing too. So uh, thank you again for the time. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Enjoy the Florida weather. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I sure will. All right. Take care. care. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Bye-bye.